Hi, I'm Jake, your podcast producer here at New Hope, and I'd like to invite you to join us with her a new show. It's called What Do I Say? and it's hosted by Pastor Ryan. It seeks to answer just that question. What do I say when I'm dealing with these issues? Whether that's homosexuality, the problem of good and evil, or does God exist? We invite you to listen along to today's episode. It's a good one. Hello and welcome to the podcast show called What Do I Say? My name is Ryan and I'm the lead pastor at New Hope Church and I'm joined today by Pastor Jake, one of our staff pastors. Uh, Thank you for listening. We're excited to be with you. Thank you for taking time wherever you may be today uh, to spend with us. Uh, As a reminder, the goal of this monthly podcast is to apply the timeless truth of Scripture to the timely topics that we face today. And there is no shortage of topics that... uh, that we as followers of Jesus, we need to be equipped to be able to respond to the pressing questions of the day, to the the messages that we receive from all places that uh, really is an anti-biblical message. So how do we as believers stand firm? How do we stand strong in our faith in a culture that is increasingly anti-Christian? So the goal is to take, uh, for each episode, to take on one topic and really aim to equip you, the listener, to think and to respond biblically uh, about that topic. Uh, and as always, if you would like to interact more on today's topic or any other for that matter, you're always welcome to email me at ryan at newhopeadel.org. I love I love hearing from, from all of you. This week's podcast is me a little bit different, though. We're taking on more than one topic, aren't we? We exactly are. Buckle your seatbelt. This one is going to be interesting. So here's the backstory in case uh, you're not aware, but last Sunday at New Hope Church, uh, the the challenge or the opportunity was presented to our congregation, to those on campus or listening online, to share questions that they had, uh, faith-based questions that they had, or spiritual doubts that they struggle with, and that we on this episode here would respond to their their questions. And a lot came in. It was uh, it was encouraging to hear from people to know what they're thinking about and what questions they're they're wrestling through. And so today's podcast, we're going to take on those questions. In fact, more specifically, we're going to take on seven questions. Each are just different. And so in some ways, it's sort of like seven micro podcasts smushed into one big episode. Mm -hmm. But, uh, But here's what we're praying. We're praying that for those of you who submitted your question and are listening today to hear a response, that it's an encouragement to you. But also for everybody else, whether you submitted one or not, that when we interact with these questions, which as an aside, may be ones that you find very interesting or have wrestled with or maybe are wrestling with today, that it too would would just give you encouragement in the answers that are provided and maybe when pl- in places that you are experiencing doubt will help you move through that. Again, the encouragement that we shared on Sunday and would echo again today that with the questions and doubts we have, that we lean into God with them. There are answers, and He can handle mm-hmm. our questions. So important. So it's uh, it's an exciting episode that we're going to hit today. So we have a lot to get to. So let's go ahead and get started. Uh, Pastor Jake, you have the questions, so go ahead and feed them, and then we'll we'll jump in and respond together. All right. Question number one is, what happens to people who don't have a Bible or they've never even heard about Jesus, do they get to go to heaven? Great question, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And probably for our listeners, one that I think everybody's thought about it. Oh, yeah, or at we've least heard this point. question. And I think this is a question that's rooted in what we perceive to be fair. 
Uh, in other words, if a person never has an opportunity to hear the gospel, then it seems unfair if they're judged for not responding to a gospel they've never heard. Mm-hmm. So what do we say about that? Because when we look at the Bible, it is very, very clear and very foundational. All people sin. All people need reconciliation with God due to our sin. And Jesus is the only way for all people to experience this reconciliation. So we have that as one foundation, but then of course the question, well, what about the people who never have the knowledge to respond? Well, the Bible says some other things that are helpful. For example, it says the Bible, uh, in the Bible, excuse me, that God reveals himself in nature. It's a general revelation. For example, Romans chapter one, verse 20 speaks to this. What do you mean by reveals himself in nature? That when you, well, let me say it this way, that God has in his creation put his fingerprints all over the place. Mm -hmm. And so it turns into things like the beautiful Rocky Mountains or a a stream that goes by with beautiful flowers or uh, a powerful storm that Mm -hmm. comes through. There are so many different ways, the human body and the, the human cell, astronomy and the stars it really is limitless to find all the ways that God has baked into his creation that exist for us to worship and praise him where mm-hmm. it calls out, it screams, there is a God. Now, what's important about this is that creation doesn't bring people necessarily to Jesus, but it does bring people to the existence of God. In other words, there's something in us that says when we really look, mm-hmm. how did this happen? How did this get here? What explains the incredible beauty, magnificence of of creation around us? Mm-hmm. We know this isn't all here by chance. And that becomes a tremendous argument or apologetic for the existence of God. Mm-hmm. We also know that in addition to nature, that the Lord reveals himself to people and to the hearts of people. For example, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11 talks about how God has put into people the yearning or longing for eternity, Mm. that there's things that he puts in us, uh, the moral law and other types of things that motivate us to to lean into God and his existence. This is evidence that God does pursue people. And let me share a, a story. It's a long story, but I'll make it very short. When I was in college, I went to a conference, and at the conference, I got to meet a guy named Shoefoot. Now, Shoefoot was a little man from South America, and he was the medicine man for the Yanomamo people or tribe in South America. By the way, he was called Shoefoot because he was the first to wear shoes mm. from his tribe. All right, fitting nickname. There you go. But he shared the story about how a missionary came to his people group and began to immerse himself relationally and language into um, or with the people there for the purpose of sharing the gospel. In time, when this missionary was able to then to begin to communicate, he began to share about Jesus with the Ottoman, with Shufa, excuse me, and the other people in the tribe. Here's what the missionary found striking. The people had already heard. And of course, he thought, well, who came here first? Was there a missionary that got to you first or that was the first to come? And that wasn't the case. The response of the people, they said, 
we didn't know his name, and you told us a lot of details that we didn't know about him, mm-hmm. but we know this Jesus you're talking about. He comes to us in our dreams all the time. Wow. In other words, what's the lesson? The lesson is that God pursues people, mm. that God works in marvelous and incredible ways to reach people. Let me say it a different way. God's mission to reach people around the world is not dictated by our missionary effectiveness. Praise the Lord. For sure. He is pursuing people and he's revealing himself in a marvelous variety of ways to people. So see, the problem is not whether or not God is revealing himself to people. I mean, literally around the world. But the problem really is the hearts of people that reject the knowledge that he's already providing. And Romans 1 speaks to that too, verses 21 through 23. Mm-hmm. Or how about Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29? It says, but if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him. If you look for him with all your heart and with all your soul. What is this verse teaching? Well, this principle that everyone who seeks after God will find him. He's not far from us. He's not hiding from us. If a person responds to the revelation given to that person, more revelation will be provided. And that becomes a beautiful thing. Maybe one last word. Instead of debating the fate of those who have never heard, I think we as believers should be doing our best to make sure they do hear. Mm-hmm. Like this type of question should fuel missionary enterprise. Absolutely. We are called to spread the gospel throughout the nations. That's awesome. What a great question. I'm so yeah. glad it was asked. Yeah. So that was just the first one. So we keep going. The next question, the next question I have is the Bible says, and in Proverbs 22, six, that train up a child in the way he should go. And when they are old, they will not depart from it. So why do our kids not serve Christ when they leave home? Especially after presumably we've trained them in the way they should go. And this is a great question. Mm. And there's I mean, a, it's lot a little scary of, for me, but yeah, well, every parent, <laughs> yeah. and I think a lot of parents, more than we maybe realize, have asked this question or feel this. Mm-hmm. Um, I know as a parent myself, I appreciate the question. I mean, you 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 love your child, you you pray for them, you invest biblical truth into their minds and more, and and then you carry the hope, and honestly, maybe even the assumption based on Proverbs twenty two six. Um, that parenting sort of falls into this if-then formula, mm-hmm. that if I do my part, in other words, train my child, then my child will be a faithful follower of Jesus as an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and of course, you have to, and this is really for another podcast, so this would be a great topic to take on, but what does it actually mean to train a child? Mm-hmm. So that that's a yeah. key piece to that verse. But nonetheless, we we sort of hang to the formula of, well... It's a guarantee. But here's the challenge. Of course, the challenge is free will. The challenge is parenting, it's not an if-then scenario. In other words, if I do X, then Y is guaranteed to happen. See, just like you and me and everybody else, all of us listening even to this podcast, our children need to come to a place where they form their own convictions Mm -hmm. for what they believe and how they will live. 
I remember this struck home for me in a profound way. And maybe you remember this, Jake, but um, several years ago when Billy Graham passed away mm-hmm. and his funeral was aired on national television. I mean, I think all the stations carried it and I tuned in and watched it. It was actually a remarkable service. Yeah. My favorite part, and I will never forget it, is one of his daughters stood up and shared. I forget her name now. But she she stared she shared her story and she was very honest about she was sort of the prodigal daughter hmm. she was she was hard and for Ruth and for Billy as as her parents the things that she put them through the wayward ways that she went and of course the ways they had to parent and and grieve and respond to all that to a national audience she was very uh, um, uh, just authentic. Mm-hmm. But here's what was struck me. I remember when I was listening to this, and I actually had tears when I was hearing her story, and then how it resolved was beautiful. But if Billy and Ruth Graham mm-hmm. had its struggles with a child that wasn't following Jesus, not even close, yeah, it's like maybe you know maybe that's for all of us too, in terms of or any of us, I should say, that that these are the types of situations that even the most faithful and diligent in terms of investing in our kids may find ourselves in. Mm-hmm. Because our kids are not widgets. Yeah. yeah. They're people. <laughs> so it's, it's really simple, but it's it's really profound. It's, it's it'd be easier people. if they were widgets. Yeah. Right? But but point them in the direction, program them right, and send them off. But no. Exactly. So here's a principle. And my wife and I, we have talked about this and, and we hang to this. We are responsible to our children, but not for them. Mm. So what do I mean by that? Well, you are, I am, my wife, us as a couple, we are responsible to 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 show our kids Jesus in action. We're responsible to pray for them, to open the Bible with them, to love them, to provide for them. And on it goes. I'm responsible to my children, but I can't take on the responsibility for my children. In other words, for their faith decisions and for the things that they have to decide on their own. I, mm-hmm. I pray, I long for them to walk with Jesus. Any parent who loves Jesus longs for that too. But that's that's Holy Spirit department, and I can't carry that weight. Mm-hmm. So I want to I offer some encouragement. If you're a parent listening to this and your child is not walking with the Lord today, it is not necessarily an indictment on your parenting. And parents can take that on. I mean, it can be a huge weight of what did I do wrong? Mm-hmm. What, how did shame. I mess up? Well, every parent messes up in, in one sense, but but that can be a very dark place to go. Mm-hmm. This other thing I want to mention is that if your child is not walking with the Lord today, remember that God never quits pursuing, loving, and revealing himself to your child. He, he will never give up. And as parents... You shouldn't either. Keep keep praying for them. Keep modeling. Keep loving. Keep showing. Keep telling them about your faith, the things you're learning in honest and invisible ways. Don't ever quit. Of course, we know our job as parent doesn't stop when they head off to college. It, mm-hmm. it changes, but it doesn't stop when they move into adulthood. It, does, it changes, obviously, but but you still have a role in their life. Mm-hmm. And the story's not done. There has not appeared at the end of their faith journey yet. Mm-mm. So you stay the course. I love honest, because if you have an honest faith, then I think 
regardless of where your kid is currently at, I think they'll always respect an honest faith. But manipulative, not so much, but honest faith is seen more than I think a parent ever knows by their kid. That's for sure. Yeah. Okay, moving on to our, our next question. They just keep on coming. Uh, next question is, why do some believers get bombarded with many surgeries, sicknesses, and diseases? Sometimes there's there's an idea that God punishes believers mm-hmm. um, by giving them comparatively more suffering than what others seem to face. And, and I get it. I mean, any of us can look, and though we don't have the full perspective and story, we can look and say, why is my life so much harder mm-hmm. when that person's life, it just seems easy. Mm-hmm. They don't they don't deal with some of the big stuff that I just find myself constantly dealing with. Over and over again, yeah. Comparison right. game is real easy to play. Exactly. But, but here's the key to remember, that both believers and unbelievers get sick, have bodies that break down. We get weeds in our garden. We face natural uh, natural disasters together. We all grow old. We all get sick and more. I mean, this is this is unavoidable uh, because it's the outcome of living in a sin riddled world. It's the it's the lot for both the believer and the unbeliever. And so, but 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 so while that's true, I also know who this question came from, and. This, what I've just shared is really sort of the why behind their question, because it, it becomes the kind of thing where what, 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 the, what the heart cry is, is God, why are you allowing so much hurt? Mm-hmm. Why are you allowing that diagnosis? Those are painful things. Mm-hmm. And, and the why question is a sort of a whole other topic. And and while our hearts cry is to know why, there are many times God doesn't let us know mm-hmm. why. And so just on a personal level, what I try to do when I cry out the why questions in my own life is to try to pivot to the what question. In other words, I may not know why you're allowing this, God, but what do you want to teach me through it? Mm-hmm. And really try to land there and focus on what he wants to accomplish in and through my life, through the challenge that he's allowed. So look, all people suffer. All people hurt. All people have scars. We don't escape this world without any of that. And so um, th- that's important to re- remember. But I do think there's some other additional principles. I just want to mention very briefly to this question. One of them is that I need us to remember that the Lord doesn't punish his children, believers. Jesus took our punishment. And so don't uh, don't, don't ever sort of go through life and when something hard comes to think, well, he must be punishing me for something, something I did. Maybe something I don't even know that I did, but this is a punishment. But that's not the heart of your father. Mm-hmm. That's not the heart of God. Now, he will discipline us as his children. He will allow us to go through uh, difficult situations to teach us, to uh, sanctify us. In other words, to help us become more like Jesus. But he is not in the punishing business for mm-hmm. those who have trusted in Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 speaks to that. He is a good and loving father. He is somebody who uh, walks with us through the things that he allows. He, ena- he enables us to move through that. 
and um, and that's what we cling to, the well, character of God. And that's really what it comes down to is the goodness of God. And, and there's sometimes where there's some difficulties and it's hard to do that. And there's sometimes where it's just insanely difficult things come and it becomes really hard to trust the goodness of God. But when we do, we we see how he's working even through the difficulties that he does love us even when we don't feel it because he he can he's operating on a much grander scale he sees the whole picture from now not even through the end of our life but through eternity and it's hard but so important yeah that's a good point for sure uh next question we have is do our loved ones in heaven know what is going down going on in earth can they see down, peek through a window, and see how well we did in the sports game or right. what's going on, who we got married to, all of those things? Have you heard that sentiment either expressed like in a song or a oh, movie? Yeah. Or... Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's it's a staple of kind of what we think, and especially some of the kind things that are said at a funeral that might not be based in a lot of truth, but definitely make us feel warm and fuzzy yeah, I think we like that i the idea mm-hmm. that maybe a loved one is paying attention to our life or yeah. viewing the things that we're going through, and yeah. the, and the, and to go back to the Bible, which is of course where we need to go, and in, in terms of what is true mm-hmm. and 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 what we bank our theology on, the the Bible never says that's the case. There's nowhere in the Bible, with maybe one exception, which I'll mention in a moment, that says that our loved ones are viewing. Mm-hmm. us here on on earth but it's also true the bible says it doesn't happen mm-hmm. the Did bible say that in a weird way it. so it doesn't say one way or another is what i'm trying to i mean it doesn't say a ton about heaven as in terms of like what we wonder about as a whole does it that's right it's silent on the topic right now here's that one verse i was referring to hebrews chapter 12 oh. verse 1 which says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, um, and then it continues on, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance, and on it goes. Well, it's that first part of the verse. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now, what's going on here? Well, the witnesses refer to believers um, but who have de- who are deceased. And so... The idea that some say, well, we're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses, that 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 sort of alludes to the idea that they are spectators upon our life. It's sort of like we're on the playing field and they're in the stands and they're just watching the events of this world unfold. Others, and I would say actually most people hold that verse, this verse doesn't really say that, but really what it's referring to is the past examples of believers who have since passed away are deceased that it's their examples that are with us they're not actively watching but they kind of led the way and they're right yeah we're following in their footsteps right let me give you my opinion on the matter and it's just my opinion my opinion is that people in heaven are happily preoccupied in heaven Mm -hmm. it is it is my opinion that they're not viewing daily, actively, weekly, whatever the case may be, uh, the affairs on earth, that, that 
the the pictures that we do get of heaven, it's people are worshiping God, people are serving God, people are captivated by the glories of heaven, that it is an active place, it is an engaging place. Um it, it is all of that. And I, I was asked this question one time, and this came to mind off the top of my head, and I've used it in the past. So let me just use it again as an illustration for this podcast. The illustration I used was Disneyland. When I was a kid growing up in San Diego, we'd go up to Anaheim maybe once a year, and we'd go to Disneyland. I will promise you, and every kid and every adult for that matter is the same way. When you drive in, you're excited, you know, and you go through the gates and, and you're parking the car. That's all fine. But what are you anticipating? It's getting up to the gate. Mm-hmm. It's going through the turnstile. It's it's walking in. It's the sounds and the sights. And then you begin to completely love your full day at mm-hmm. Disneyland. Every time I went to Disneyland, there wasn't a single moment I thought about or longed to watch the events back in the parking lot. Right. You're not standing under the fence looking back, checking out the car. It's... Exactly. I didn't I didn't want to do that even. I <coughs> was captivated by Disneyland. Mm-hmm. And that's where I wanted to be. It's such a it's such a hard thing because we've never been in heaven to to think about heaven is really our home. That's the main place where we should be focused. And I mean, this is all we know, but we're only going to be here for, I mean, tops 120 years. That'd be pretty good. <laughs> yeah, and that's years. that's. I mean, most <laughs> of us far less than that. Most of us would take 80. Yeah. So, so here's the deal. I guess to to wrap this question up, whether or not people can look down and see us, see the affairs of this world, we we just still have to remember that mm-hmm. we are not running our race, our faith journey, for them. Like, like we're not doing the things we do hoping for their approval or their applause. Um, we're doing it for, for Jesus. In fact, I'd mentioned Hebrews 12, verse 1, mm-hmm. verse 2, the very next verse says this, fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. And it continues on describing who Jesus is. What's the message? The point is Jesus is who we live for. It's his applause. It's his viewing of our life. It's his engagement in our life. He's the one that we know is completely um, engaged in this in this world, in your life, in loving and leading you and walking with you with his Holy Spirit. So uh, that, that would be probably the best way I would try to mm-hmm. articulate it. Okay. So next question kind of ties right along with that last one is, when we die and we do get to go to heaven, will we know our loved ones? Will we recognize them there? I know. I like this question. Mm-hmm. Did you ever read that book, uh, The Burpo Family? Uh, heaven is real. That's where it was. The little boy. The little boy. I think I, I've. That, my mom read it. When, and there's some other stories yeah. like that, right? Yeah. So these these near death experiences, mm-hmm. and then they meet a loved one in heaven, and they recognize them. Mm-hmm. And, Classic and, movie trope is your headed to heaven and people greet you and and send you back home. It's not your time. Yeah. So the big question, of course, is, well, what does the Bible say about that? Mm-hmm. Well, and actually, we have we have some information about this. Um, for, for example, um, King Saul. This is from the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 28, verses 8 through 17. King Saul, he, he's doing a no-no, but he meets with this witch to summon back Samuel, the prophet, um, 
whole story of why he's doing it. But nonetheless, what's interesting about that account is that Samuel is called back from the realm of the dead. Now, that whole thing may just be confusing you if you're listening, like, what in the world are you talking about? My only point in bringing this up is that King Saul, who knew Samuel, recognized Samuel. Mm-hmm. He knew that was Samuel. So so that's interesting. We have another Old Testament example in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23. David's infant son um, died, passed away, and David declared, I will go to him, but he, his son, will not return to me. So you notice built in, there's an assumption built into that verse that David would someday reconnect with his his um, the baby, his infant son in heaven. Mm. So implied in that is that recognition and that reconnection with them. Uh, we see another example, Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31 here. This is in Jesus's ministry and talks about Abraham, Lazarus, and the rich man and the story that it unfolds. All of them recognized each other after death. You have another example, Matthew chapter 17, verses 3 and 4 of the transfiguration. And here you have Moses and Elijah when Jesus is transfigured. Remember, Peter, James, and John Mm -hmm. are there, and they're watching this mind-boggling event unfold. Well, then Moses and Elijah show up. Well, those three guys, Peter, James, and John, recognize Moses and Elijah, which is interesting because they never physically saw them before. Obviously, a lot of time between the lifetimes of Moses and Elijah and the disciples had passed. How did they know that was Moses and Elijah? There seemed to be something in there that recognized them when they came. Here's probably the most important in terms of evidence to help us navigate this question. People recognize Jesus after his resurrection. Remember, he had the appearances over the period of 40 days uh, to people. And there wasn't any account where people showed up and said, we don't recognize who you are. They all, if they knew Jesus and when they saw Jesus, they knew it was Jesus. Mm -hmm. There was never questions about that. Now, he was in his glorified body at this state, his resurrection body, in other words. And in his resurrection body, he was recognized as Jesus. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, similarly, we too will one day receive our glorified or resurrection body. And 1 Corinthians 15 verse 47 says that we will be like him in this manner, in terms of in our new bodies that we will receive. So it seems reasonable that if they recognized Jesus in his resurrected body, that we would also be recognizable in ours. All this to say, these examples or in these examples that I just gave, The Bible seems to strongly indicate that we will recognize our loved ones in heaven. Let me share with you a story. I debated whether to share, but I'm going to, I'm going to share it. When, uh, several years ago, we lost a daughter. Her name was Emily at birth. And that was obviously very difficult. And in the year that followed, I was in Mexico on a mission trip and I'd had an injury and I was um, going through surgery in another country. Laura, ironically, was in Iowa driving back to Colorado with the kids. She'd gone to visit her sister. On the drive, and it was hers to describe, but she she shared about a brief vision, Mm. a snapshot, if you will. And the snapshot was a girl 
age was hard to pin down, but maybe late teenage years, something like that. But but it well, it wasn't that definable. And she had long brown hair and a flowing dress. And she turned with the biggest smile showing her face and then turned back and then ran off. Hmm. Laura had a clear sense that that was Emily. Hmm. Now, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. But that wasn't anything Laura was thinking about, longing, I mean, longings, I suppose, tr- yes, but like it wasn't, it wasn't on the forefront of her mind. It just happened. Mm-hmm. We got back, she got, excuse me, got back to Denver. I came back, the mission trip was over and she was having coffee a few weeks later with a friend. And she's, she's at this coffee shop and she's sharing this story. She says, Dana, you're never going to believe what happened. And she begins to share the story. Dana starts weeping. And Laura's like, are you okay? And Dana says, you don't understand. Ever since Emily passed away, I have been asking God every day to give you a glimpse mm. of your daughter in heaven. Mm. And then Laura was crying, right? right. And so, so you had this scene, Laura, a glimpse of Emily, and she knew it was Emily. Mm-hmm. But Emily, as we had seen her, was a newborn baby. Mm-hmm. But we knew and that's just a personal story that is a tremendous encouragement to us. Thanks for sharing that story. I think to just add one last thing, being able to see our loved ones. Um, I think the longer we live, the more we long for that. People that we love, people mm-hmm. that we can't wait to be reconnected with. I think that's a glorious aspect of heaven. And we look forward to that. But heaven, we have to remember, is so much more than that. Mm-hmm. It's it's about God. It's about being with him. It will be a tremendous pleasure to be reunited with our loved ones. But it is even greater pleasure to see Jesus face to face, to worship him, to serve him, and all that heaven will entail. Mm-hmm. It's definitely something to look forward to. Thanks for that answer. Uh, moving on to our next question. Uh, I sometimes wonder or doubt that God really does forget our sins. I know he forgives, but I'm not so sure about him forgetting. Good question. By the way, this is number six, right? Yep. So hang in there if you're listening. I hope you're one enjoying more, it. Right? We got one more after this. Uh, yes. Does so 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 the Bible talks about forgiving and forgetting in terms of our sins with God. It's a great question. Um, there are lots of passages in the Bible that speak to this, that clearly do teach that God forgives and forgets our sin. Uh, let me just give you two examples. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25. It says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. That's pretty clear. Pretty clear. How about the New Testament? Hebrews chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. And by the way, the context of this verse is that the author of Hebrews is unpacking how Christ sacrifice on the cross, who talks about how he died once for all for sins uh, to accomplish the forgiveness of sins. And then it says this in verse 17 and again, verse 18, their sins and lawless acts, I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. So we have this picture of God forgives and forgets the sins of those or for those who are in Christ. But here's the thing that we got to remember. I think the key to the question, God's, you know, quote unquote, not remembering 
doesn't mean forgetfulness. Because here's the rub of the question. God is omniscient. And being all-knowing requires he forgets nothing. So how does the character trait of God as being all-knowing jive with verses that say, I have forgotten? Well, here's how. And it actually isn't, it's very relatable to even you and I here. See, God can and does choose not to remember something, meaning, and what that means is, choose not to dwell on it or act on the mm-hmm. past offense. Think, think about your life or, or mine or any of you listening here today. If someone sins against you, and I mean in a significant way, and you choose to forgive them and to forget their past offense, you don't actually forget I mean, it's still there. What does that mean when you say, I'm going to forget it and move forward? Well, what you're saying is, I'm going to choose to overlook it. I'm going to choose not to dwell on it. And I'm going to choose not to act on it in terms of revenge. Mm-hmm. But but it isn't that it's like somehow like scrubbed from our mind and we actually right. can't recall the event. We'll have that flashlight thing from Men in Black. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. We just consciously choose, I'm not going to live in that place. Mm-hmm. Well, that can be a helpful analogy to God. It isn't that he forgets, it's that he chooses not to dwell on it, act on it, uh, view your relationship with him in it. Mm-hmm. And I think that can be a helpful analogy for yeah. us with that. I appreciate that. That's a, that's a comforting and encouraging answer. All right, we have reached the end. This is the final question. If I am saved and my sins are forgiven... As we just talked about, why does the power of sin and temptation to sin persist in my life? Yeah, I appreciate we're ending on an easy one, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll, <laughs> let, you, I'll let you handle this one for sure. <laughs> this is a great, great question here. Um, and in fact, I, I when I saw it, I made a note personally of th- this requires a full podcast episode mm-hmm. because there is so... Like the question is so practical and there's so much in the Bible that speaks to this topic. It, it is really so foundational to what does it mean to follow Jesus daily? Um, but but for now, let me just offer a few thoughts, a few words. And then uh, again, we can circle back on another episode in the future. The thing to remember is that at the moment of salvation, so the moment a person makes that decision to cross over from death to life, to trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, The Bible says that person is born again, born anew. What that means is that our spirit, which is foundational to who we are, which is dead in sin, is resurrected to new life. In other words, we don't go from being bad person to good person. We go from being dead to alive, Mm -hmm. spiritually dead, corpse, nothing there, Mm -hmm. to we're quickened to new life. We're resurrected to new life. We are, as Second Corinthians talks about, we are a new creation and all that that entails. And that is exciting and wonderful. The old is gone. The new has come. It's a great thing. But that person will soon notice the temptation to sin and, and obviously the practice of sinning is still there. It's mm-hmm. still a part of us. So, of course, the question that you asked is, and somebody else also asked is, well, why is that the case? Well, here's why. Because we are still in this broken world mm-hmm. and we're still in our bodies. Mm-hmm. The habits of the old me, the old person. And when I say habits, I mean 
physical habits, cravings and practices, emotional habits, the hangups and the ways we process our emotions that are in good or unhealthy ways, the relational habits that we have, the mental habits, the way I think about things, what I think about what I've put into my brain in the past in this show, we've talked about pornography. Pornography actually rewires the brain. Mm-hmm. Well, a person who's stuck in that then comes to Christ. It isn't that that all that damage, I'm just gonna call it damage is what it mm-hmm. is. All that damage just goes away. It's still there physically in the body, the mental pathways that we have formed in terms of how we process things, the attitudes that we carry about things. The point being the old person the habits, the residue of the old person, it's still there. It didn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And, and, and after a person comes to Christ or after salvation. So while that person is no longer a slave to sin and the power to sin is broken, in other words, you don't have to sin. Mm-hmm. We have freedom to live. Right. But, but we still have to learn obedience. Mm-hmm. That's the fancy word, of course, is sanctification. We have to grow and mature, we, we have to grow in holiness. Nobody mm-hmm. like rolls out of bed holy. Like you have, you, that's a growth process. And the Lord, it's his, the Lord has to do that. This isn't self-help, power, positive thinking. No, th- this is a spiritual work, the Holy Spirit working in your life till the day you stop breathing to help you become more uh, like Jesus uh, in your body, with your emotions, in your relationships, how you think, your attitudes, and more. This is something he has to do with this lifelong process. But it's important to remember too, though, that when a child disobeys her parents, she doesn't cease to be their daughter. So when a person sins, and there are some some interpretations of the Bible and some denominations even that that you you can lose your salvation, mm-hmm. that you pray to receive Christ, but then when you sin, you've got to sort of re-up and mm-hmm. cover that and then cover that and then cover that. And that's bondage. I mean, you're just constantly, constantly on edge and, uh, and anxiety. Mm-hmm. And that's not the picture we get in Scripture. There is assurance of salvation that that person who said yes to Jesus, that moment of salvation, they are adopted into the family of God and he becomes your father Mm -hmm. and you become his son or daughter. And that positional change doesn't change. Mm -mm. Jesus said, none will snatch them out of my hands. Mm -mm. You are his. Now, sinning doesn't change the position that you have, but sin always has an impact. And so the believer that sins, it harms the relationship. Think of it as, I don't know, gunk in your plumbing lines or stuff in your your circulatory system that might cause a heart attack. I mean, the plaque that can build up or whatever. Mm. Like those kinds of things block or harm the relating that we have to God, the relationship. So... A son or daughter positionally is a son or daughter, but that son or daughter may have a wonderful relationship with their parent or Mm -hmm. may have a a damaged one. The position doesn't change, but practically there's impact. The reason I'm sharing all this is that 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 sin is still a big deal. The temptation is there. The person will continue to sin. But while sin has consequences, it doesn't change who we are in Christ. Amen. 
the battle will continue. We're in the flesh. We're in the world. Um, we just need to stay, stay the course and allow the Holy Spirit to do the work he wants to mm-hmm. do. Great question. And thank you, listeners, those of you who on at New Hope shared questions. And as I started off this show mentioning, if, if this has sort of piqued other questions that you have, please know that you can email me at ryan at newhopeadel.com and um, .org, excuse me, and would be happy to to interact with you individually or maybe a future podcast. We can take that topic on because really, if you have questions, it's a good chance that other people do as well. So again, thank you for listening. Jake, thank you for uh, partnering with me on this and uh, working through these fantastic questions. Pray it was an encouragement to you. And we look forward to seeing you next time.